I wonder if you've ever seen the celebrity panel show on television Through the Keyhole. Some of you will. A celebrity's home would be visited by a presenter and camera crew who would draw the viewer's attention to items casually left lying about the place. Things of a personal nature or something that would give clues to the character. Um, Occasionally it was a bit stereotyped, you know, If it was a jockey that was being done, there would be lots of references to how small this thing was. Sometimes, if it was a rock star, there might be a room full of guitars. An actor with the RSC might have the complete works of Shakespeare lying on a coffee table, and so on. What we need to think of today with our passage from Mark's Gospel is what's going on? What's happening? It's what the disciples pondered. What was all this? What's it mean? What are we to do? As David Frost, or in more recent times Keith Lemon, would have said, the clues are there. They're for our discovery. We have a mountaintop, a cloudy presence, a voice from above, two characters from the Hebrew scriptures who had in their time disappeared. Moses had died, we are told, but his body location was not known by anyone. Elijah swept off in chariots of fire. This scene that we recognize where Jesus the Son becomes shining with a brilliance beyond what we could possibly imagine on earth normally um, is of transfiguration of change, of God doing something new. And it lets us, through the eyes of Peter, of James, and of John, see a heavenly encounter, doesn't it? We see something happening. It's more than if we have gone into a celebrity's home. Or more than perhaps arriving at a theatre and instead of sitting down in the front row waiting for the show to start, stuck our head through the curtain and had a bit of a look. Our eyes find not what is a well-tidied house, Or a few people putting props in place before the start of a show. But we see something far more extraordinary. We witness the interaction of Jesus, Elijah and Moses 
apparently taking place on earth, but yet it is something of a heavenly realm. Something of the kingdom here. The actual content of the discussion of the three, Jesus and the two men who represent the Hebrew law and the prophets, is not recorded. And the purpose of their meeting must surely be something about the way ahead. Luke's gospel tells us it's about Jesus' departure, which we might mean, uh, might imagine means his ascension after Easter. But what we do see is of a spiritual nature. And what we do hear are words of God. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. The words of God are subtly different from those heard at the time of Jesus' baptism. This time the message is not to give reassurance or support to Jesus himself at the start of his ministry. But we are directed to not be distracted. We are called to have open ears and an open heart to who Jesus is and what is to happen. We are left in wonder, perhaps, but we also have clear direction. As we hear of how Jesus has a new brilliance, uh, a dazzling appearance, we might remember how others have been on mountaintops, particularly Moses, who became radiant in the presence of God such that he had to wear a veil to hide something of his appearance. And we might remember in 1 Kings 18, Elijah on the mountain, leaving the cave on Horeb and pulling the cloak over his face before the Lord goes past. The glory of God shines through people when they encounter him, when they are in the Father's presence, when they are before the Lord. They take on something of that character, of the one that will cause light perpetual to shine. The one in whom there is no darkness, but only light. How much, I wonder, do 
do we shine? Like we sang about earlier when the young people were still in here. Do we shine? We might get a a rosy redness in our cheeks if we stand on a top of a hill on a, a windy day. Sometimes say to pregnant women that they glow as the blood flow increases to the skin, giving them a warm and happy appearance. After a, a little bit of exercise, a spot of running perhaps, we might start to radiate at the same time as we sweat. But do people see us dazzling? Are we a glow? Are we bright and shining with having been in God's presence? Do people see us and see that something in our life has changed us? We might not have had quite the same sort of encounter on the mountaintop as Moses when he received the law. We might not have that experience that Jesus stayed there as he met with the prophets. But when we are seen by others, are there clues in our life that are on open display that show who we are? Not in the terms of a copy of Shakespeare. Do people simply see us and know there's something different about us? That we spend time with God, with the God who loves us. Does something of that loving presence rub off on us? Does it make others want to be like us and with us and have a relationship with us and with him. That's who we're called to be. People who on the walk of life have a walk of faith. People on a journey that reveal God's love. The situation on the mountain leads Peter to say, let's build shelters. You know, we can have three. One for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you, Jesus. Let's just stay here. Let's be comfortable. I did think about bringing pop-up tents. But then there's always the fun of folding them again afterwards. And, of course, the issue that Jesus says, no, we're not going to build shelters. It's not about staying here. It's about journeying onwards.
you know, Peter had looked and saw the people together. He saw who they were, the law, the prophets, the son together. Three different forms of God bringing the presence of his word to life among God's people. From written commandments to spiritually given word to God's word made flesh. Each in turn calling humanity to repent and live for the Lord, to have new life, to open the way, each being a progressive step until that step that there is no comparison with, no other means of bringing it. Peter wants to stay in that presence of God. And of course he would. I'm sure we would too. We want to be there. We want to know it. We want to experience it. We want that mountaintop experience where you can look and delight and marvel at the glory of God. But while the mountaineer's purpose might be to get to the top of the mountain, to conquer it, though uh, Bear Grylls once said about Everest, you don't conquer Everest, it allows you to climb it. You know, it can easily beat you. While they might get to the mountaintop. The purpose in the Bible of these mountaintop experiences is more as a way marker for the journey ahead. It's a signpost to what lies beyond. Peter looking at the mountaintop, fails to think of why Jesus was born and why he is teaching, why he called Peter to be a disciple. How he said, be a fisher of men. And nowadays we would add women too. Every time a prophet goes to the mountain or Jesus retreats for prayer, it's so that we can progress forward. It's a place of encounter with God so that God may encounter others through those people. And that's why we meet together here. We come to praise God. We come to give glory to his most wonderful name. We long to honour him, to worship and adore him. But being here is not the end of the week. It is not the day of rest. Sunday was not the day of rest for the disciples. The day before was. And it shouldn't be for us. 
This is the first day of the week, the day where the work begins, the day where we, having been on the mountaintop, having gathered together, will, at the end of the service, maybe after having had a cup of coffee or tea or a bit of a chat, we go out into the world. This is the day we go out and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. This is the day that we start to serve his purpose. This is the day that we are glowing with his presence. As people who are loved and people who love. The news this morning reported that in North Italy, the the people will not be able to go out and gather together in numbers. They'll be able to go to a restaurant as long as they seat a metre apart. And reaching the rules might give them three months in jail. The rules apply to 16 million people. That's a big number, isn't it? 16 million people. And big numbers are hard to imagine. You know? That number would be the equivalent of the people in Sussex, East and West and Brighton, plus the people of Kent, plus the people of Surrey, plus the people of London. 16 million people not being able to live their lives as normal. And such restrictions in other places around the globe have already come in. And there are places where church buildings have shut their doors for the time being. And with the spread of the novel coronavirus, it might be that in a few weeks' time, restrictions might come here. It might be that we're not able to gather. We don't know what tomorrow brings. What we do know is that we shouldn't get in a silly panic but we do have to think of each other's health and safety. We have to remember that whatever happens, our faith is not about being in this building for a certain couple hours on a Sunday morning. It's about how we live our life, how we glow with God's presence how we take that out into the world, how we shine for him, how we reveal that we are loved and that we're called to love. What we do in church prepares us for being the scattered church, the body of Christ in the world. The mountaintop is to prepare for the next stage. 
for what comes beyond. Even when we don't understand what comes beyond, even when we think that what comes beyond is scary and we can't comprehend it. Whatever comes beyond, we are the church. God's people equipped to be God's people, to be loving. So how will we do that? Well, we might phone each other or maybe send emails. We might, if we are healthy, be able to shop for others or prepare a meal. We might need to engage in voluntary work to help in healthcare or other sectors of society. But whoever we are and whatever happens, we must not be distracted from the primary purpose of who we are as Christians, being God's loved and loving people. Where is God in all this? I've already been asked once today. God is with us. He gives us the strength. He's always given us the strength. He equips us to be his. So let's be his people. In an online chat with other ministers the other day, talking about coronavirus, the concept came up that, uh, you know, there can be a fate worse than death. You know, common phrase, a fate worse than death. For those of us that are Christians, many things are worse than death. In death, we see life. For those that are not Christians, I'm not sure that there is a fate worse than death. For whatever that will mean for beyond the grave. We, in what might be a challenging time ahead, need to be God's people. People of love. People that shine with love. People that others will see are different, that we have been transformed in a way because of who we are and what we believe and what we know about the God who made all. And we have to share something of that hope that we have. It might be that coronavirus, COVID-19, will come to nothing in this leafy little community that we're blessed to worship in. It might be. It might be something that is not an issue. All those loo rolls have vanished out of Sainsbury's for no reason at all. But whatever happens, whether it is an issue, whether it is not, the world outside the doors 
should be able to see who we are and not need too many clues to see that we are God's people and we shine for him. Amen.